What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of After School Program, the podcast where we talk with young, successful adults about how they navigate their lives and careers after school. I'm Connor Hine, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Zach McHale. Today's guest is Kyle Sparkman. Kyle's an indie funk musician based in Philadelphia. His music and videos have been streamed over 400,000 times. In this episode, we talk about how Kyle created his EP, his music and influences, discovering his passion for performing while in college, what Kyle does for work in addition to performing, and his experience playing in France and Philadelphia. Here he is, Kyle Sparkman. So Kyle, you just recently released an EP. How was the process of putting that all together? Um, so that was kind of there. I feel like there. it's like, it feels like there wasn't a process because that was the collection of like live sessions that I recorded from, I think the first one was in late 2019 and then throughout 2020. Um, and I knew we did, we did the first one, um, for the song Funk 215 that I had. And actually that kind of led to me getting like the first people listening to my music that weren't just like my friends and family. Um, and so when we first like went out there, we were just in my parents' backyard and uh, I had a recording engineer, uh, Tyler Ripley, this guy from Free Dive Records, he's a great engineer. Um, he just came out and I didn't know what to expect because I never recorded like outside, um, but it, we really just did a trio. It was just me, um, my bassist friend, Andrew Napoli, and then Phil Conine on the drums. And like the sound, I was floored at how great it sounded. Um, and so I was like, oh, I want to do a lot more of these because it was fun. I just like had my dad show up with an iPhone and like film it with, he's got a little, one of those iPhone oh, stabilizer stick things. Is that when yeah. you had the little sunglasses on too? Like the, was that yep. the video? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's the one. Yeah. It's like on the lake. It's like the fall vibes. Yeah. Um, so that went great. Like I, I put that video out and uh, like even before, like, so I released the studio version of that song. The, the video is for Funk 215. And then I, it wasn't until I put that live session video out that like it started getting some attention and stuff. Um, so I was like, oh, I'm just going to do this for all my songs. And it was like so much fun to do. So then throughout the rest of 2020, uh, we did more of them like in various outdoor locations again because of the pandemic trying to keep it safe. So um, still your dad yeah, with the cell phone. Did you, did ev- with you every time? Because I was like, I, I was like, I feel like I found a way to do this that's like cheap that's that's yeah. the that's the main right. thing because he obviously has uh, a vision too it looks great the yeah the uh, shout out great. to the audio engineer um tyler again he uh he colored it and made it look very vibrant um oh, nice and yeah so we just did a few more of those one of them was at um johnson's farm uh <laughs> which if you grew up in our hometown you'll know is a much loved staple um but it's actually out in Jobstown near like Six Flags Great Adventure. Uh, they opened a second farm. So we went out there and did one. And then another one was in my backyard. And then the last one we did was at Spice House um, with John Coleman, who you guys previously had on. And that was just a cover of a Billie Eilish song that I really liked. So I didn't really know what the EP was going to be until I just kind of like looked back at all those live sessions and was like, oh, I really like all of those. And the songs are already out. So I feel okay about um, putting them out. And then, yeah, that was pretty much it. Uh, 
And it was also honestly to buy me some time <laughs> for like actually putting out new music um, okay, yeah. <laughs> because I'm still working on those. I have a bunch of stuff lined up for, for this year, but I was like, this is a, this is a good thing just in the meantime. Right. Yeah. Package those together. No, the, the quality of them sounds great. So it is, it's a really great album, man. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, what, what are, what's about, the title of the EP? Is it just like live sessions? It's alive and well. Alive um, and well. Like yes. It. You know, felt that was fitting still here, you know, made yeah. it through 2020 and the pandemic so far. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with it came out and even, uh, I was worried about how it was going to be moving indoors because three of the songs were recorded outdoors mm-hmm. and that allows for like such crisp drums because you know, it's a giant space. There's not sound bouncing off all the walls right. and a big part of that with the audio engineer is I was like, I don't want to have to be wearing headphones and I want to be able to hear my voice coming through, uh, like a vocal monitor, which is like when you're playing on stage, it's a speaker that, uh, you put at your feet so you can hear yourself. And a lot of times if you go to like an audio engineer, um, I feel like their first inclination is to try to get you wearing headphones and really isolate as much of the sound as possible, which, you know, it makes sense. It, It allows for better sound, but it also, I'm not a huge fan of recording that way because I think it can kind of take you out of the whole live feel. Um, so we we did that same thing in um, Spice House, which is like obviously much, it's harder because you're just in a room, there's sound bouncing off the walls everywhere. But again, Tyler did a great job with really making it sound nice. So, yeah. So you're not a, you're not a big in-ear monitor guy? I mean, you know, it's just... Uh, I'm fine with that when you're when you're on stage. Honestly, yeah. I haven't played that many shows where it's like there's a need for it. It's like right. usually you're playing like small and mid-sized venues around Philly, and it's just like a big old speaker at your feet. Um, I didn't even I didn't even know people did that and the speaker yeah. at the feet. Honestly, I kind of just thought you sang because when we first started like doing the podcast and you would hear yourself, um, you could kind of hear yourself talk back, and that threw me off a little bit. Right. Yeah. It, it's really the range. You're an audio engineer, right, Connor? Is that? I claim to be. Yeah. Okay, cool. I mean, the range of of, of where it goes, depending on where you are, is like all over the place. Like, I think the first gig I ever played, we we just had the, you know, the PA system that's amplifying our voices and like, we just like cranked it so we could hear it as well as the audience. And then I feel like the next step up from that is having some vocal monitors at your feet, just speakers blasting your voice back. And then a step up from that is when the engineer will mic up your guitar amp and the other instruments. So they're also coming through, um, the speakers at your feet. So you can hear, you know, yourself and the other instrumentalists on stage. And then after that, you get those in-ear monitors where you can hear your voice. And then like, really like, I feel like a band, like maybe like fallout boy or like a, a much more like polished kind of pop leaning band. They'll they have just do like, Neuralink. Yeah, just, pretty yeah. much Put chips in their brains and just, you can hear your, hear everybody yeah. in the band through that mm-hmm. or like i think someone like like sean mendez like literally has his tour manager or whoever's whoever's responsible for that aspect of the show like in his monitors being like okay chorus three two one or like something like that like it, it gets pretty crazy but oh, that's insane. i feel yeah. like my in, in my wildest dreams like of my genre it would never get to that point it's just like <laughs> you'd be able to hear everyone and that's yeah. it <laughs> you yeah. failed to mention the feedback though in a couple of those early stages there's a lot of feedback. Yeah. My, I think the first show we played, we started with the, like the vocal monitors behind us 
which just sends all the, the sound directly into your yeah. microphone and makes a very <laughs> angry circle of sound. And we're yeah. like, we should probably move these. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't worked too many big rooms. I worked the Fillmore once with Muscle Tough. But nice. just go, just going to shows and like hearing the feedback of still like being a fan and being like, what the fuck is that noise? But also being like, damn, I feel for those guys because they obviously can't figure it out right now. And it's, right. Just, it's just murder to everyone in the room. It's stressful too because time speeds up when you get like 10 minutes away from start and there's something going on yeah. just like frantically plugging and unplugging things and moving things around and like yeah, half the times it's like the guitarist's like shitty like pedal board or something like that. <laughs> That's like making noise or something's not grounded. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Every I, two hours before the show, everything sounds great. There's no problems. And then like, right. like you said, 10, 15 minutes, you're like, what the fuck is that noise? Or this this yeah. input is not here anymore. What the hell is going on? Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. uh and it's all and like a lot of times like shows are just like a stage that has been set up somewhere temporarily. Like uh at least the shows I'm playing. Like right. I remember one year we played the Italian Market Festival on uh in the Italian market in South Philly and yeah. it was raining and I think, yeah, it was raining, like drizzling, but not so much that the show was stopped. So we went on and something like wasn't grounded specifically for me and was interacting with my, like the pedals that I use to like add effects to my guitar. Mm -hmm. And so I was getting like electrocuted basically anytime I made, my skin made contact with my guitar strings. And it was like a very low <laughs> level of electrocution that I didn't, I knew something was off immediately, but I right. couldn't figure it out. And then I was like, oh, I'm being electrocuted. But it was like yeah, a 30-minute set. Yeah, so like <laughs> by the end of it, I don't know. I was probably just, you know, psyching myself out. But I was like, I'm going to go sit down. I feel terrible. <laughs> just being punished for trying to get funky yeah, with just, it. You're just being tortured the whole time you were playing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Suffer for art. How would you describe your music? Oh, yeah. Uh, that's, that's a great question. Cause I know. Because no, no one can actually describe any type of music. I know. Like, how did how did John Coleman describe Muscle Tough's music? Um, the best. <laughs> they they actually have a. I mean, they've been so many people have like told them told them like what their music sounds like, and they try to mm. say what their music sounds. They came up with a good one that that they've been sticking with. It's like futuristic, funk, funk. psychedelic, yeah, something like yeah. that. Gotcha. Which definitely, definitely describes it. But <laughs> I think I think they use Bizarro in there too, maybe, which also nice. is a great description that's that's the right adjective um <laughs> yeah i put like on my on my website and like social media i put indie funk which like indie funk rock but what is the word indie rock is so abused these yeah. days like i mean it's definitely associated with a certain type of sound and i don't even think i necessarily meet that sound but it's like i'm an independent musician so there it's, it's indie rock right, and it's funk it rock some mm -hmm. guy actually i think i have this on my website some guy on youtube like left a comment that I just like put on my website because I feel like I feel like this is very apt. I'm gonna pull that up right now because I forget. Mm -hmm. Uh, he said, he said this is like Mac DeMarco, John Frusciante, Tom Mish, and some disco rolled into one, and I feel like that's very accurate. Um, John Frusciante is the guitarist for the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and they've been a massive influence on me. I like funky stuff. Those are all like funky-ish artists, maybe with the exception of Mac DeMarco, but um. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess you could also call it like funky alternative rock. I also have like some of the songs uh, I released are way more indie rock, alternative rock, even like singer songwriter than straight up funky. So like right. I couldn't call myself a funk rock artist. I feel like I don't know if that fits, but yeah.
Right. Everyone and always it, wants you to put yourself in a in a box. It's tough. Yeah. Right. And I'm just going to keep you know shitting on Z's question even more. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it it gets to the point where like <laughs> fucking music guys. <laughs> but it, but it gets it also gets to the point where like. I why why would I want to label my music because it's only gonna like put me in a room where this is mm-hmm. the type of music I make and if you know and if you start writing something that doesn't sound like your music and you have to have that like conversation with yourself that's not a good place to be so Z yeah. stop asking those questions they're stupid <laughs> like what it seems like to me is you guys just you know you take a couple of genres you take like two or three and just say sort of this right you yeah. know or in that guy's case he took a few artists and it's just like something in between this and it's just yeah. like a range I was like sure <laughs> sure that fits and I think people like if anyone has a, a popular song that's like what most people then want to just hear more of so I right. think that traps you in as well no matter what you call yourself or, or say for sure mm-hmm. for sure who are some, uh, getting into maybe influences, who are some of your other influences besides Red Hot Chili Peppers? Right. Yeah. So uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, definitely, I'd say the biggest, like that was something I was obsessed with during my formative guitar years. Um, also a big fan of, of John Mayer. Um, just, and I think some people will bring that up when asked to describe like what I sound like, uh, which is something I'm like, uh, like I, I totally understand it and see it. And I'm just like, yeah, it's one of those ones where just people like if someone comes up to you like you sound just like John Mayer and it's like oh yeah, all right. but, <laughs> yeah but what which John Mayer do I sound right like? <laughs> exactly it's like it's like I love John Mayer he's an amazing guitarist and stuff yeah. but it's still just he's so he's so big and out there and, and people just some people have a certain view of him you're just like ah compare yeah. me to something else <laughs> but I can't I can't deny it I mean he's yeah. definitely had a huge influence on my playing and songwriting um yeah, Tom Mish is another one. I mean, I gl- grew up on classic rock, just 102.9 with my dad quizzing me on stuff. So I feel like the Rolling Stone, like Keith Richards was one of the first people to make me want to learn guitar with his guitar solo on Sympathy for the Devil, mm. which is a, a great one. What about, I'm, I mean, obviously one of the biggest guitar players of all time, but it, w- this is not what's making me bring him up. Hendrix, just because his influence Absolutely. on the Chili Peppers and... Uh, yep. I can never say the guy's last name, so I'm not even going to try to. But John. Who for Shante? Yeah. Yeah, John for Shante. Yeah. Yeah. For Shante or for Shante? Right? I don't know. Yeah. Right. Know. Actually, it's like. He plays guitar. That's the thing is like, I, I, those are my, those are my influences, but it's like, okay, really, if I say I like uh, John Mayer and Red Hot Chili Peppers, it's like, you like Jimi Hendrix and Stevie Ray Vaughan. I mean, John Mayer's playing sounds a lot like Stevie Ray Vaughan. So right, right. definitely that too. And like all the old school, like funk guitarists. Um, David Williams, like you've heard him on on Michael Jackson's records. Like mm-hmm. I think he did like Billy Jean. Like I really like it's called like bubble picking, where it's just like the like the super. Right. It's like a rhythm as lead guitarist style of playing. So like I love all those those funk guys like Nile right. Rodgers and stuff. Um, is that yeah. is that you you brought it up kind of there? Um, is that something that you do uh, where influences of yours? You look back on their influences and try to delve deeper to see what it is you like about them or where they got the sound that they're came up with? Honestly, no, but I'm trying to get better at it because it's definitely yeah. something I should do. But like, really, I mean, like, uh, I would just like binge like Red Hot Chili Peppers, like listen to like nothing else for a very long time or like Nirvana and like just go in there and like, yeah, I've, I've, I've definitely never been the person who's like so well versed in different music stuff. I think actually yeah. the first time I was recording with John Coleman, he's like, that sounds just like, 
uh, I don't know. It was like the Brothers Johnson or something. And Dude, I was like, he's, I was an, like, en- he's yeah. an encyclopedia. I know. I was like, who's that? He's like, you can't be Kyle Sparkman and not know who they are. <laughs> I was like, oh, I guess I have some studying to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He'll give you some homework for sure. Yeah. yeah. Just, just, just hearing the way he talked about music, I'm like, I'm way out of my element here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was a great interview, by the way. And I love John's just encyclopedic shout outs as well. Like, oh, that, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Z kept, I, I'm so used to it just talking to him, but uh-huh. Z kept pointing out like, wow, these people that we have no idea who they are, you just keep naming their names and saying thank you. <laughs> Easily yeah. the most names we've had dropped in a podcast. Uh, yeah. Big name dropper. I but love he's it. He's a name dropper of lady. not famous people. Right. That's just cool. Loves yeah. giving everybody their credit, man. He gave like 20 people a reason to tune into the podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's true. That's true. Yeah. John's great though. I feel very fortunate to be able to work with him. Uh, he's like, such a talented musician and like also has a really great just like ear for songwriting and like kind of taking on a mentor role in the production sense. Um, so I brought on John to initially just play bass on a couple of my records. And actually now we're just writing some songs together, which is interesting and cool because I've never really done anything but like write by myself unless it's like an explicit collaboration with someone else. Oh, that's awesome. How did you mention how you met John? I think Mm. Oh yeah, so uh, Luke O'Brien, who is a right. another local artist, he's yeah, he's a he's a rapper. Like I guess you call it conscious rapper, really just positivity rap. He's a very mm-hmm. positive guy, great dude. Uh, he brought me on for a gig. We played. It must have been like a fifteen minute set at the um, at the art museum for the Fourth of July. They had like a local music stage um, sponsored by this record label that Luke's on, and that's how I met John. And then also. Um, just through knowing like university arts guys like Phil and people uh, we went to high school with and I'm friends with, I think I saw them play at um, Beard Fest, which is this muscle um, tough. S- yeah, muscle yeah. tough. Um, it's a small but very cool like prog rock weird out there funky great music festival in in the Pine Barrens of New Jersey. I think I saw them play there before I'd actually met him in that context. I think now would be a good point to go back to kind of childhood and, and where did music come into play? Like where, when cool. did you start playing guitar and when did you start getting interested in music? Um, yeah. So I wasn't one of those people who like always knew they were going to do music. Um, I wanted to play guitar since I was in like, I don't know, like elementary school, but my, my parents were like, you have to try piano first. So I did a year of piano, promptly quit. And then got a guitar and then took maybe like a year or two of private lessons and then kind of played, but I just like not enough. Like I didn't catch the bug. Um, and then in middle school, I guess my first foray into live performance was I was in the Memorial school backup band, which was the live band that played for the chorus. Um, so I was pretty cool. I was in that chorus. Nice. There you go. I might've backed you up then. Yeah. You know, I should, I should preface, I got rejected. I think the first, I don't know if it was the, I think I got rejected in sixth grade and then I played in seventh and eighth grade or like I got rejected in seventh grade and played in eighth grade. I just didn't make the cut. There's too much, too many guitarists, I guess. Um, so I, luckily I didn't, I didn't just give it all up there. Uh, and then yeah, like high school again, I played on and off and I would go, um, to my friend Jimmy's house and we would jam in his basement and make noise and then i got to college and again didn't play that much but until my sophomore year and i feel like there was one 
Have you guys ever seen the movie uh, Midnight in Paris? Mm-mm. It's no, a it's a Woody I, Allen movie, which you know he's kind yeah, of. It's a, it's a classic. Yeah, uh, although Woody Allen's pretty. Woody Allen isn't classic. I, he, he is that, not that's classic. That's not what I'm saying. I said his, but, the movie was classic. <laughs> so the movie has a really great soundtrack from this uh, gypsy jazz guitarist called Stéphane Rombel or something like that. He's a Paris-based guitarist, and I was just like. I don't know why I was just like I'm gonna try to like learn this song and it's just like I've never learned gypsy jazz It's a really advanced style of guitar and I just like kind of sat down and like over the year Like learned it enough and I feel like I don't know why but for some reason it just clicked with me at that point like oh I can kind of just like I don't know that that learning that song like gave me confidence to like and got me interested in guitar a lot more so From there I started getting more into it. I didn't really start singing until my junior year of college um and then I studied abroad in Paris my junior year. And when I moved there, I was like getting into it more and more. And then I was just like, well, I was like, I want to start performing. And I like, usually I feel like I'm pretty timid in public, but I was like, if I suck, like one, these people don't speak English. So I already, I already got the, the fluent English stuff going for me. Cause a lot of like, even over there where people who are performing, they're performing covers, like English language covers, like from mm-hmm. British people or like American musicians. So I went over there and just like started going for it and like singing out like on the street and stuff and just like learning how to jam with other people. And like, what was that first, that first performance like? Um, Hmm. I'm trying to remember. I feel like I totally eased into it. Like at first I would just like, I was all, I'm always more confident in my guitar skills because I've been playing guitar since 2004, I think. Um, so I think at first I started with just guitar and then I just like started singing where like maybe people were passing by and then like worked my way up to it. And then like eventually went to like an open mic and then like got there. And, um, yeah, I don't know if there was like that one moment, but I would just like kind of sit there on the river, you know, just the cliche study abroad student. Oh yeah. Jamming away. What, um, what is the uh, Paris on a bridge? Music? Yeah, definitely on a bridge. <laughs> sitting on yeah, a bridge. For sure. No, sitting on the, on the, the K's, I think, think they call it, uh, it's like the riverbanks. There's like people just go out there and just like, there's a lot of great music out there. Um, yeah, a lot of, of busking, all different right? kinds. A lot of busking Ta- in Paris. Yeah. yeah. A ton of busking. And then I just met other international students who, who I jammed with. One of my good friends from, uh, chili and we would we would jam a lot so that's what it what is the uh paris music scene like i've, I've never been there um are there like a lot of it's venues? big yeah yeah uh you know like i never that my junior year again i was never like i wasn't to a point where i was like oh i'm gonna get a band together and like start doing stuff so it was always like outside so i knew more of like the busking scene from there but it's you know right. it's a huge i think people definitely like move there to to go after music because you have right, right. london is is not far at least um did you go to any shows when you were there yeah uh who did i see my sister came to visit me and we saw future islands um i don't know if you've ever heard of them but i haven't the, they're like an indie rock pop-ish band i guess um i just went t- right to andy sandberg's doesn't he have like his comedy group called something like oh lonely island lonely island lonely yeah island. That's what I oh wait did i call them lonely island no no, no you no, call no, them no. future okay. island okay yeah future no, island. It's like, just you just have to know anytime you say island i'm gonna think of andy sandberg because i was in the caribbean islands like andy, <laughs> andy sandberg like, cool comedy yeah. group yeah so then i went and saw andy sandberg um <laughs> no uh I, I saw a bunch of just like random bands it's like just like local parisian bands and stuff um and i think at that point, I was still very much into electronic music, so I saw like 
I think it's Zoo, like Z H U. Um, okay. And yeah, there's a lot of. Oh, there's I a know. Very, I, like, I like that music a lot. Yeah, there's a there's a really cool like electronic scene in um, Paris. Like a lot of just like random parties at four in the morning in like a a park somehow, like oh, stuff like awesome. that. Um, but yeah, so that was really I'd say the start. And actually, like I'd had this like one I had much less of a internet addiction, like just my apartment and slow internet. Like I was just writing a ton of music and just had all the bravado and confidence of someone who like knew nothing about what they were doing. Like God bless my friend, my, my, um, from high school, Jimmy Dunn. I don't know if you guys know him, but I, I would send him so many songs and I was just like, these are awesome. Like sending them. I'm just like, I was like, I wish I still had those cause they're definitely all terrible. And he was just like being <laughs> yeah. nice and be like, great dude, these are cool. Like we'll jam on them when you get home. Yeah. Keep at um, exactly. So, I left Paris um, and got back to Clemson University for my senior year and had all this like gung-ho energy and decided that I was going to start a band. So I teamed up with my friend Doug from econ class to play bass. And then, yeah. And then we did not have a drummer or another guitarist, but we wanted one. Um, And then I named the band Frequent Flyers. which everyone thought was like a drug reference, frequent but flyers. I, yeah, for me, I originally wanted it to be frequent freak, freak flag flyers, but that's too hard to say. So we just did frequent flyers, got a logo made, did all the things. And then my roommate, who's not a musician at all, is just like, um, is just a really friendly guy and like booked my first show for us, like without me knowing or even being ready. Uh, he's like, Hey, there's this bar opening up downtown and, uh, they need music. And I told them, and like the guy had like already called me and stuff. And the bar was called Kung Fu Cantina. It was an Asian Mexican fusion restaurant and bar. Um, which surprisingly is no longer open. Uh, (laughs) and (laughs) I love when they try to put all of the things together and it's just so bad. People love these both. Let's just blend, (laughs) mix them together. Yeah. Butter and tuna fish. That's what passes for culture, uh, (laughs) there. And I mean, it was, I don't even think they actually served any food. It was really just a place where college students went to get drunk, but, um, but we quickly found, um, two more people to join the band. Um, this guy who was from Charleston, South Carolina and living in the area. And he, uh, we just called him Hambone, and he had all, he had like big Jack, <laughs> Jack Black cool energy. Was he cool with that nickname? Uh, he, well, if, he's, if he's Jack Black energy, I feel like he would eat up that Hambone he, name. He, no, he, he <laughs> gave, he gave him, that was his name that he told us to call him. <laughs> he and, himself Hambone? I mean, yeah. <laughs> Six months later, Kyle's, Kyle's like, but what's your real name? He goes, just call me Hambone. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he brought the energy that we needed for that, uh, that band. And, um, then he brought his, his drummer friend into it. And then I just started like emailing all the student organizations I knew and trying to like make a big buzz about our first performance. And like, again, had no idea what I was doing. We had like one vocal PA, two really crappy amps and we hung like tapestries up. It was like one of the tapestries, like half covering like a T like a TV that was like playing a golf game or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then like, I had all my friends over for like a party before we went over there. And then like the place was like packed. Like there was a line out the door um, and we started playing immediately. And like, we were still, we were just playing covers. Like we had no original music, but people were into it. And I was just like, this is it. Like, this is going to be so easy. Like it all, like it was such a great, is this easy. Yeah. Like also I should say um, in Clemson, South Carolina, it's in the mountains of South Carolina. So there's really like 
a total of like the downtown consists of like six bars and that's it. And there were probably mm. only two other bands at the time that existed there. So like the third band to come on the scene at the time was like, <laughs> it was easy to like make a little buzz and this uh, is it. they're taking over. Yeah. I was like, man, this music is any, great. Any threats from the other two bands for stopping no. their territory or anything? One later show, they came in as like a group to like check us out with like their arms crossed and then like, right. they were cool with it. <laughs> right. But they had been around forever and they were way more popular than us. So I don't think they felt threatened yeah. in the slightest. Um, Do you think they walked but, in and went, fuck, they got hand bone? Yeah. <laughs> How'd they get hand bone? Yeah, dude. Because his, his shirt came off like halfway through the show yes. every time. <laughs> Jacob Morris, <laughs> great guy. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. So we did that, awesome. made some t-shirts, did the thing. I told my parents that I was pursuing a life as a musician. My sister laughed at me and my parents was like, Oh, okay. They're like, as long as you don't like, just like continue working on your backup plan, like as you yeah. do that. So, uh, mm-hmm. and then I moved to Philly and like was going to just reform the band, uh, with just different members up there. And again, had all that large confidence. And then I got to a city and I was like, Oh, these, there's a lot of, a lot of talented people here. Uh, so that was like a nice little wake up call. And then I spent, I feel like 2016 really through 2018 to 2019, just kind of like cutting my teeth on the live scene. Um, I joined a band as a lead guitarist. Uh, it's called loose leaf. They're a rock band who's been around forever. And the bassist was my Craigslist roommate, Andrew Napoli. Um, and they have so much experience. I really learned a ton from them. Uh, Andrew really kind of just like gave me like chances to like learn how to play live and stuff. And I love playing with loose leaf too. It's some of my favorite shows. Um, and we're still working on stuff. Um, and to break into the scene, did you start going to just like open mics by yourself or were you going with some of your buddies from like that you knew at UArts? Right. So initially I, I was going with my, with, um, Dan Doyle, Ryan Sander and Jimmy Dunn, all people who went to Shawnee high school. And and we were working on this band, the frequent flyers together. So we would go to the open mics and like perform the original music that we were writing. Um, and I'm trying to, but then I also would go alone and stuff and really, um, becoming roommates with Andrew Napoli. He's four years older than me. So he, and he's been in the Philly scene for a long time. He introduced me to a ton of people. Like I wouldn't have the like circle of musicians and friends that I have if it wasn't for him. Um, and then, yeah, I think frequent flyers did not last long because I had no idea what I was doing. And it was me on guitar, Dan singing, Ryan on bass and Jimmy drumming. And like, we like wrote cool songs and stuff, but it was just like, we just like formed a band without knowing anything about what each other wanted. So we were all constantly pulling in different directions. And then it was just like quickly didn't work out. Um, so I think at that point I was just trying to be like a hired gun guitarist. I was playing with, um, Emily drinker. Who's sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. I've seen. Yeah. She's fantastic. She's been on a few of your songs. I was wondering, so what did that conversation sound like when you guys decided to kind of part ways? Um, it was like, it had been a long time coming. I think, um, it was like, I was trying to, I was trying to like play as much as possible. I was like taking like three hour cover gigs and stuff. And like, uh, Dan didn't want to do that, which is like, and in retrospect, like that's where I'm at now. I was like, so I think it was like, we were just like working up to it. It was just like kind of fizzled out, you know? Yeah. And I was doing, you know, just like sessions for random people. And that's when I started just like going out on the scene and like meeting people doing open mics, uh, alone and stuff. And, and then I started playing for loose leaf. Like they have a pretty 
they used to have a pretty busy gig schedule. So I was doing a lot of stuff with that and then just still writing my own music and then um, kind of working my way up to like figuring out what I was going to do next. Cause that's the other hard thing. And another reason the band doesn't work out. And it's like the reason a lot of bands don't work out is because like everyone really has to be on the same page. Uh, Cause it's just so hard to get stuff done and like organize people. Like the way, the reason I put out music under my own name and just like my band is a rotating cast of like my friends and like session musicians who are available is because it just like allows me to just like keep moving forward where I feel like before I was like frustrated with just being like, you know, have, being in a band where people want uh, different things musically. And it's like, it doesn't mean it's bad. It's just like, you have different tastes and stuff. It's like, it's almost just like a control thing. I was just like, I had a, I didn't realize that I had a vision for what I wanted to do, but um, it wasn't what the other people want to do. And again, that's no, slight to them or anything it's just like that's how most bands are you know it's hard for people to stay together it's like you're in a relationship with four different people right um, yeah so eventually i just like i was trying to just like now just like to make frequent flyers at this point into i didn't even know what it was like i think we played a show and it was like i would sing some songs emily would sing some songs my friend cj who's a great like um r&b singer would sing some songs i was doing like a rotating cast and then at one point i was like all right i need to just like actually like just like I think just like sack up and like just do it and like announce that I was doing a thing which is like in my head such a big thing like okay I'm it's no longer freaking flyers and now I'm telling people I'm putting out music under my own name like oh my gosh and it's like in reality literally no one gives a shit (laughs) Um, so like I did that and another thing that helped was uh, there's this band called the fearless flyers that came out which was like a super group band of these like um, Sons of bitches. Yeah, so you walked I was, in there, you saw their first song with your arms crossed, standing in the back. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I more like I logged onto YouTube and like saw their video with like a hundred thousand views already, and I was like, "Well, this is this is a sign." Immediately messaged my lawyer. <laughs> yeah, I wrote a very sternly worded email to them. <laughs> I have yet to hear back. But yeah, I was decided I was going to just like start putting out stuff in my own name and I would be the front man, which is like something that I had to learn to get comfortable with. Um, Cause like, honestly, some of my most enjoyable shows are with loose leaf because like, I'm just playing guitar, like maybe singing a harmony or two and I can just focus on the one thing, but like, like my band's format where it's like um, just a trio, it's like I'm playing lead guitar and singing and that's just like more to focus on, more to be self-conscious about. So I was kind of learning all of that and then I had an opportunity to move back to France and I jumped on that. Um, and what year I, was this? Like This was, I think, yeah, I think this was towards the end of 2018. It's like, um, it's this teaching assistant program. That's like a longstanding agreement between uh, the French government and like a lot of other governments of the world. And you just apply and then they just randomly assign you to uh, a city in France and to be a middle school or high school, like English teaching assistant. So I did that um, when I was feeling really stagnant in Philly, when I was just trying to figure out my thing, figure out what to do. And then I applied for that. It was like a long process to apply and I kind of forgot about it and then started playing with Loose Leaf and like things started picking up there and we were putting out like songs and doing videos and it felt really good. And then I got accepted the program and I was like, oh, I was like, I'm having a lot of fun playing with these guys in Philly, but I feel like this is a once in a lifetime opportunity um and kind of by the luck of the draw i was assigned to this city called lyon which is in the southeast part of france like kind of near the border of italy it's like 
close to the Swiss Alps. Um, it's, in my, I think it's, a, it's either the second or third largest city in France. They have a great music scene. I was like, I can't pass this up. So mm -hmm. I reluctantly left Philly to do that. And then like the day after I left Philly, Loose Leaf played uh, a single that we all debuted together on like Fox 29 on the Q show. And I was just like, I had oh, so man. much FOMO like getting yeah. over there and, and like sure. seeing like, seeing uh, like the replacement guitarist uh, do that like do that performance and stuff, but hand ultimately bone. it was, <laughs> yeah, they, they brought up Hambone. <laughs> uh, he would have been great for it. Um, but um, yeah, then I, I spent like eight months in Lyon, which was like an awesome experience. Uh, and I just like expanded my musical horizons there. I feel like gained even more confidence performance wise and stuff and honed in on the material that I would, release i think i only i released one song while i was over there and then like had the rest of the stuff like ready to release once i got back to philly so so you're just doing like open mics around in leon then and mm -hmm. did you did you i mean i guess since you were starting to get in on the scene there like did you start to get people in a rotation in that area too or was it really like you solo kind of just like honing your um, skills so for, I like quickly connected with a few people um my friend remy who's just a very skilled Bass, like multi-instrumentalist and I think as soon as I got there I got booked for a gig to open for this local artist um and we just did like a two-man acoustic thing because I had just arrived like two weeks prior and that was really fun like Lyon is basically uh separated by two large kind of rivers that run through it and there, so there's a lot of like little boats that are venues. Like it might be like an 80 person max oh, boat cool. venue. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. So that was like the first thing I did when I got there. I was like, Oh, again, super cool. And, uh, like another false, I feel like burst of confidence. It's like, Oh, I'm gonna be playing stuff like this all the time. And then like, and then I realized like, Oh no, I have to like build another network of musicians and meet people here. So right. yeah, I started going out to open jams and then just got like a small, a small group of friends. Um, this I met this other girl who's um, I guess she grew up in Florida, but she's also German. My friend India, and she became like my musical partner in crime, as well as another French guy who's a producer who like opened my eyes to a lot of like honestly like a, a lot of American music. He just one of those like encyclopedic types who just like is gonna sit you down and give you an education in music. Um, and so. I didn't make a ton of like live music progress while I was there. And I started basically a couple months before I was about to leave. I was like, I should do a show. Like I should get together a show. Like when I was first there, I was like, I don't know if I want to put all the effort into rehearsing a group of people only for me to then leave. But I was like, I want to at least do one. Cause I know I can actually pack a room just through the, the job I was working. Like you have a ton of, you know, 20 somethings who are English assistants uh, yeah. and like foreign language assistants mm -hmm. looking for something to do. Um, which was, yeah, it was another cool aspect of it because there were people, like I lived I lived in a middle school across the street from the high school that I taught at. Um, you lived like, in the middle school? Yeah, so like in French schools, it's common to have like a residence attached to the school where like maybe a teacher lives or like they have it for people who work there. So yeah, I lived, I paid 100 euros a month and lived in like basically a small studio room that shared a kitchen with like five other people. And my roommates were, one was Austrian, one was Portuguese, one was Taiwanese, one was from Nicaragua, another was from Spain, the other guy was from the Reunion Island. So it was like, we'd have parties and there'd be like 30 countries represented. Um, so was, oh my God, yeah. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I should like um, capitalize on this to at least just throw a show and, and like 
gather a bunch of these friends and stuff. And then, um, I feel like in, in the States, it's, it's easier to book something at last minute, which, uh, it's just like my bad planning. I was like, I waited until there was like probably only like a month before I wanted to play the show. And I started reaching out to venues and they're like, what? Like, no, like (laughs) everyone was just like, no, it's like way too late for that. And so I wasn't able to book the big show that I wanted, which was a bummer. But, um, I ended up, there's this like cafe down the street that was like, we did an acoustic thing at, which like we packed it and, um, there was like people out the door. So that was, that was really fun. It was a good, like final send off. But, uh, yeah. And that got me back to Philadelphia where I started releasing all the music that I have now. My greatest performance while I was over there is like, I would sit in with the, I guess I, I didn't realize this. I went back to my roots of the backup band. I would sit in with the, the, the high school chorus, um, they nice. had like a little band and I would just like go in and then like, I would only do it for their practices and stuff. And then there, it came time for their like holiday concert. They're like, someone dropped out. We need a guitarist to play the song. So I got up there and felt <laughs> pretty lame playing guitar in front of uh, like all these high school students that, uh, looked at me like an alien as their like <laughs> English assistant teacher. <laughs> you hit the big time there. Yeah, for sure. So you come back to Philly and like, are you just like jacked up to get back into the Philly music scene. You're like, that was good time in Leon, but like now time to dig back in. Yeah, absolutely. I was like very, like I had been like feeling a little like anxious to get back while I was there just cause like I knew I had stuff I wanted to do. So I contacted Phil Conine, um, while we were, while I was over there and just told him that I really wanted to like get back into gigging. And he's like, I have this bassist, uh, my friend Mochi Robinson, who I think like would really like connect with your I style. Yeah. Mochi's great. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I got back and like quickly started rehearsing with those guys and working on stuff and recording and like playing a bunch of shows. Um, I like did a mini release tour for funk two one five where we just played, played in Philly one night. And then we went to New York and played this tiny little venue called Pete's candy store in Brooklyn. And then went back to Philly at this outside of Philly a little bit in Germantown, I guess not outside of Philly. Um, at this place called Rittenhouse Soundworks and, did like a three, three show mini tour for the release of that single. And then like, I think a month after that, the pandemic started. So it was all going well um, until then. But then, I mean, when the pandemic started, I had released Funk 215 and like a couple other songs. And then again, like it wasn't much more than like my immediate social circle listening to the music. Um, But when I put out that Lakeside live session for Funk 215, that's when it like enough people on Instagram saw it that like it got picked up by the, the almighty discover weekly algorithm on Spotify, which, uh, like just started getting like a bunch of people from like all over the world listening to it, which is just like super gratifying. It's like kind of that one little push you needed to like feel good about things and be like, okay, I'm what I'm putting out is not like completely terrible. Like at least some people are, are liking it. So that's right. Awesome. Yeah. 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 It is cool seeing some of your comments where people just be like attaching like their flags to it. Like I've seen like I don't know, Brazilian flags or something like or a different language. And it's just like, wow, that's that's really cool to know that it's resonating with somebody completely elsewhere. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much uh, my musical journey to this point. I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting a bunch of stuff. I mean, I, I just like a lot of times I'll just be like sitting there and just be like, oh, I'm so I feel so just grateful to like work with such a cool like Philly's such a great music scene. There's so many amazing musicians here that I get to work with. And, uh, 
feel very grateful for that. It's also just like, like thinking of like moving to a city like LA or New York and those music scenes there just seems exhausting. Um, especially in New York, it just feels like, I don't know how people live there as musicians. Like it's so expensive. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You do wonder with, especially with how, how much things have changed and in, in digitally, if you really need to go to those two places, I'm sure, you know, you got your advantages, but also, I don't know, maybe just with the structures that are in place there, it takes a really long time. Like I remember I was watching a stand-up special about like, you know, the comedy store and how guys were going in there. And now mm-hmm. it's like so many people will go to those open mics there that it's like, it took this one dude like eight years before he was able to get on there. And it's just like, dude, would he be better off going to like a Philly or a Denver or an Austin and just like kind of establishing himself in that scene? I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's crazy because I think it really is about, uh, creating video content and you can like get, you know, get a following from anywhere now. And even I try to like keep that in mind going forward. Like sometimes I'm like, Oh, I should take this gig because every musician is told play as much as possible and stuff. And like, uh, like that's great. And I do play a lot because the reason I pursue music is for live performance opportunities. But sometimes I'm like, well, like if this is going to be a huge pain, like why don't I put that energy into like creating another live session video or something? And that'll probably reach more people. Um, I think that, you know, that's the other thing is like, as a musician, when you get into music, like no one has any idea of like how to even really start. Like you just kind of had this vague idea of like being discovered, like playing in the right bar and some guy in the back sees it and like whips out his cell phone. Like that, that doesn't happen anymore. And I feel like, um, and then, so everyone just starts like being like, Oh, I guess you just like kind of post videos of yourself in your bedroom, playing guitar to social media. And like, that's how it works now. Um, and I feel like some people like bands who are really great, like live, but lack the resources or just like capabilities to create that kind of like video content. It really holds them back and it's like not fair um, in their eyes. But at the same time, it's like there was always someone creating that video content and getting the word out about you. And it was before it was just record labels who were like robbing you blind for it. Like now at least like you can pay some, some kid 50 bucks to come film your band. And like if he does it right and the song's good, you can you know, get your, get your own audience and have much more control over that. Do you do, uh, do you do anything else besides music? Do you have a side hustle or? Yeah. Uh, so I guess that's a, um, when I graduated and I had my big vision of just making a living from music, which I don't, I don't, I think my, my views on that have changed, especially after 2020. Um, I graduated, I had a degree in economics and, I, I realized while I was in France, I did an internship at uh, like in financial accounting, basically, and like absolutely just like hated it. And that also kind of drove me to be like, I'm never going to wear a suit, man, like mm-hmm. working nine to five. And um, so when I graduated, I just started looking at uh, like how to become a freelancer because I was like, that sounds cool and like flexible. And like everything I read was like, don't just start freelancing, like get experience somewhere and then do that. And I just decided to ignore that advice um, <laughs> and just try to get into freelance writing. Uh, like I, I felt like I've always felt like I was a decent writer. And so I was just like, oh, I'll just do it. But I had no portfolio. So when I first graduated college, I would just put up ads on Craigslist and be like, I will write one free thing. And then if you like it, like, let's talk. So like I took so many random writing jobs that like anything that came my way, I think the first job I got was for an HVAC company. And I wrote like uh, blogs about like how to repair your air conditioner, or, like best practices for air conditioning and like trying to draw in traffic for some guy's website. And I was so excited because I was like, it's my first freelance writing client. And 
I even did one a stint like ghost writing, like dating profiles for some matchmaker in NYC. Like a lot of stuff I'm just like not proud of. <laughs> um, and like, and then, you know, I, I had some like part-time marketing uh, and like admin help work on the side and like managed to basically fake it till I make it and like keep that going um, to like eventually like I've written for like Apple and I wrote for the University of Southern California's music school for a while, which is a pretty big school out there, Thornton School of Music. Um, and yeah, I kept that going throughout the years. And like now with the pandemic, I'm like, okay, the, the stability of freelancing is horrible. Um, so I'm just like slowly transitioning out of it. I'm still doing it. But uh, I there's this Instagram page that's turned into a business called pickup music. And they do, they feature a lot of like neo soul, like jazz and funk musicians and specifically guitarists. Um, and back in 2017, I started just like writing blog pieces and like interviewing guitarists for them for free. Uh, and that turned into like a working relationship. So now I'm, uh, the community manager there and it's been super cool because they basically, they put out master classes with like some of the best guitarists like on Instagram and like just in the world in general. Um, and like you pay a subscription for like access to it. So that's been super cool to do. Honestly, I'm really enjoying that. Um, that's and really still cool freelance. That yeah. That's really cool that you're able to do something that's like involved in music still. And especially within your, the kind of genre of music that you like too. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, the guy who runs it, Sam Blakelock, he's, um, from New Zealand and now lives in LA. He's like assembled a small team of like remote workers. And, you know, as a musician himself is like super understanding of like gigs and flexibility and stuff. So I'm definitely enjoying that and feel fortunate to have that job at the moment. Do you have any advice for somebody who's considering pursuing a career in music? Music is tough because you're putting yourself out there uh, and it's very personal if you're writing music um, and like you're your own biggest critic. But if uh, if it's something that interests you, just keep your head down and go for it because if you like it, then there's definitely other people out there who like it. And that's kind of the, the beauty of the internet. If you just keep doing your thing and getting better at your craft and not paying attention to you know, other people who are younger than you or your age who are just like blowing up on TikTok and Instagram and you'll find a, a community of people to connect with and who are doing similar cool things. Thanks a ton for coming on the podcast, Kyle. We had a great time. Do you want to tell the listeners where they can find your music? Yeah, just Google my name and you'll find me on your social media platform of choice. I have a ton of music that I've been sitting on waiting to release. So that'll be out soon and hopefully some fun uh, videos to go along with it. Kyle Sparkman, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of After School Program. You can follow Kyle Sparkman in the links provided below in the show notes. And make sure to follow us on social media at ASPPOD. And if you like this episode, please subscribe and tell a friend you think would enjoy the show. Thanks, and we'll see you in the next one.